Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is coffee hour. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Ah, coffee hour. It is <laughs> a grand church tradition. It is indeed. Okay, so let's start there. Because even growing up in the Catholic Church, we had coffee, juice, and donuts, which we always hated because after you, as you're nine, you scarf <laughs> down your one juice and your little bit of donut. Now you're stuck at church for another 45 minutes because your oh. parents are gabbing away. Oh, no. But I'm guessing because I know it and it's prevalent in all the Lutheran churches I've been to, it's kind of just a church thing. It has been at every congregation that I have served at or attended, correct? It is something that people enjoy doing, gathering for fellowship after a worship service or at some point in time around the worship service, yes, with oftentimes some kind of beverage and treat as well, like some kind of food sustenance, often sweet. Sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How have you seen it evolve over the years, or has it? Has it just always been somebody going to make coffee, somebody's going to bring something that they'd baked, and we're all just going to linger and chat about the week? I think it depends on the congregation, and it depends upon the culture of the community itself. Some congregations are really fast at it, and some really linger. You saying that it'll be another 45 minutes before your parents head out, right? Yep, easily. That's a long coffee hour for some congregations. And for some, that's barely scratching the beginning of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. I think the second congregation that I served, they had very long fellowship hours. They really did have not necessarily large amounts of food or even a particularly ginormous amount of different kinds of food, but almost everyone stayed after worship and everyone sat down at the tables and had full conversations. And if the service was supposed to be exactly one hour and no longer, coffee hour could run an hour and a half and no one would blink an eye. Wow. And that was just how it was. People really enjoyed that opportunity to sit together have conversation, switch tables, have a conversation with someone else, mix and mingle. It was a very fascinating kind of piece. Now, Central, maybe because our worship service is later in the morning mm -hmm. at 10.15, by the time we finish our worship service, which we also don't hold to exactly one hour, our worship service is oftentimes closer to an hour 15, an hour and a half. Our coffee hour fellowship time, sometimes I don't even have enough time to take off my robe, go to the bathroom and wash my hands, and get to the coffee hour before everyone is almost cleared out. Mm -hmm. And maybe answer the two questions along the pathway that as people grab me in the hallway, as I, you know, make those kinds of things or put away the computer tech. By the time I get to coffee hour in our building, Everyone is pretty well cleared out, and the cookie platter surely is by the time I get there. 
Oh, yeah. It's quick because it's really close to lunchtime. Yeah, it's very close. And especially when my kids were younger, I'm like, oh, cookie hour. Now I have to fight how many cookies, if they get a cookie, what kind of cookies are there, what happens if they don't like the cookie that's there. All these are very real problems. <laughs> and and it really is. Like, we end, our service ends around 1130. And so people are getting hungry. Mm-hmm. And if what you're giving them is sugar, yeah, it's a very quick turnaround on our coffee hour. The last congregation we were at in this town, Mm -hmm. it was a nine o'clock service. Okay. So by the time you get out, cup of coffee sounded pretty good. Maybe a nice little sweet treat mid-morning. Yeah. They went all out depending on, especially if it hit a certain time of year like now. Mm -hmm. There were some elaborate coffee hours. It was impressive. Yeah. You really can get some incredible stuff. And I know... There's a local congregation that their kind of fellowship hour is before worship. Mm, Okay. And they combine it with breakfast and serve breakfast to the community. And so anyone who shows up, including the houseless community, have breakfast together. And they'll serve pancakes and bacon and eggs and coffee and tea and juice and milk and everyone will sit and have an amazing big breakfast together and then go upstairs for worship together. See, now that's not going to be so popular in the Catholic Church where it's frowned (laughs) upon to eat before you have the host. Oh, yes, the morning fast, fasting before Eucharist. However, the pancake breakfast after church, those have been very, very successful. Yes, good fundraisers even. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so this is all well and good, and it sounds like it's pretty common. What did COVID do to the coffee hour? Well, that's, it's a great question. It took it away for a long time for congregations that weren't gathering or who were observing COVID protocols. And I think one of the other pieces that has happened through the pandemic is that we had a lot of opportunities for people who were tired and who wanted to release some responsibilities, released them. And hosting coffee hour is a lot of work. Yeah. You know, especially for congregations like ours who really don't want to use disposable cups and disposable plates. We still use our Corel plates and mugs. And so there's dishes to do afterwards and to put away. And so with all of that going on, it's harder and harder to find hosts and volunteers to take care of putting stuff out and cleaning stuff up and even bringing stuff that is baked from home or donating cookies and those kinds of pieces. And to be honest, it was actually difficult to get that every single week pre-COVID. So it makes it more challenging to have this, at least for our congregation. There may be others that are finding it simpler, but for our community, it can be a real challenge to have a host each week. Do you think the lack of coffee hour in COVID, the biggest complaint was the lack of the fellowship itself, or was it simply gathering with other people? I mean, what what do you think was most missed? Mm, both and. 
People missed the opportunity to check in with each other, the opportunity to kind of see one another. And there is something truly special and important about gathering together and eating together. That is an integral part of our faith and faith practice and sharing with one another just the casual pieces of our lives. And Coffee Hour Fellowship really gives us that opportunity to do that for for those who participate. Not everyone is a coffee hour kind of person. Mm -hmm. But to lose that completely, I think, was a very hard time of disconnection and coming back and refinding that. And of course, key people are no longer there either because they have left a congregation or because they've died in those years. And so there's grief in coming back and having empty chairs. Okay, so it does happen to be holiday time. Indeed. And the other part of this whole coffee hour thing is the cookie exchange. Yes. Which Central just had, and I sadly missed. (laughs) Timing was terrible. What do you think the cookie exchange brings to the whole coffee hour mix? I I think it just brings a little bit of delight and joy. And part of it also brings this opportunity to share specific flavors and traditions from each other's families. So one of the things about Lutherans is that oftentimes I find Lutherans are very clear about their ancestral heritage. Sure. And where they come from, that they are Swedish or they are Norwegian or they have Italian somewhere in their family line or they have Danes in their line. And so these particular cookies or particular sweet treats will show up at their holiday time. And when you have a space for people to bring them and you ask about them, you start to get really beautiful stories. And maybe I just think of this because I'm their pastor. But inevitably, if you ask someone about their holiday cookies, you can get some really beautiful intergenerational stories. You get stories about, I married into a family with an Italian heritage, and so I learned how to make pizzelles. Or I learned this Danish cookie because I, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you just get these beautiful stories of these wonderful insights into who people are by what kind of cookie they bring to the cookie exchange, to the holiday cookie exchange. And it's just a great opportunity to learn more about who people are and their story and their family story. And yeah, you could learn a lot about a person and a lot about their traditions by asking them about those things. Yeah, the beauty part about the cookie exchange is it is a much lower stakes entry into the whole coffee hour game. Yeah. Because you really only have to bring one batch of something instead of having to be in charge of the whole thing. Yes. So you do get people participating in ways that they may not have participated in coffee hour before. Totally. And for someone like myself, who, you know, is one person in a household, then I can actually make the kinds of cookies that I really enjoy from my childhood, but I don't have to eat all four dozen of them that the recipe makes. 
I can keep five or six of them for myself and then bring the rest in. The church is going to have some for coffee hour in the future, and the rest of them are going to go out into the community. And then I'm going to be able to pick up some that I've never learned the recipes for. Sure. But I've grown to love because culturally I've learned how to appreciate things like, you know, these special, incredible things that come from the various cultures that I've served. Yeah, the whole cookie exchange thing for me is still relatively new of a concept because when I was a kid, it was you go to grandma's house or pick the relative and everybody would have brought something. Mm-hmm. So it would have been this massive array of wildly different candies and cookies and whatever that people would have made. But if you weren't quick enough to <laughs> get a second one of the one you loved, mm. then woe to you because you will never find that cookie again in your life. <laughs> so at least in this way, you can find something take enough home to be able to at least figure out what it is. <laughs> and see, I come from... A family that does have uh, an Italian step family. And so every year I would end up at a Christmas table with Italian Christmas cookies. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Which if you've ever had an opportunity to spend a holiday with a truly Italian heritage family, you can understand like an Italian cookie table is an impressive experience. I believe it. It's true. It's as impressive as an Italian cookie wedding table. It's it's wow. a big deal. It's a real big deal. Yeah, we were making way less highbrow things like peanut brittle. That was the high <laughs> end of what my family would make every year. It was my father's favorite. Yeah. Well, I'm not making anything major. My sister, on the other hand, she's astonishing. I I I am not my sister. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. I want to know your favorite cookie to make. Okay. And I want to know your favorite cookie to find on a cookie tray. Okay. Be it at an exchange or at some random event. All right. My favorite cookie to make is my, uh, it's called the best rolled sugar cookie. Every sugar cookie is called the best rolled sugar cookie. I know, but mine really is the best. <laughs> and it probably should be called a butter cookie. Okay. And not a sugar cookie because it's so much butter. But they don't look that impressive, but they are so good. And they're just easy and light and delicate and delicious are these to be frosted and shaped, or are they just, here's your round cookie? I don't, I don't frost them. I think my sister does. She is an artist, and she does everything incredible. So I think that she does frost hers. Every year I attempt to make a beautiful, like, cutout cookie with frosting and, and decoration, and every year it's an epic fail. Yeah, no, I don't do that. I just roll them into a log and then slice them at about a quarter to a half inch thick. Sure. And bake them that way. And if I think that people are going to care about how they look, I might put some icing sugar on them because then there's some color, but I don't do icing because I don't have skill or time. And I don't like how it changes the texture of the cookie. Sure. So 
Yeah, I just like the cookies as themselves. So that's my favorite one to make. And I really like them and they're very good and very delicious. And I eat too many of them when I make them. I mean, that's also a holiday tradition. Yes. And my favorite cookie. Oh, and by the way, my sister has learned through this uh, special holiday Facebook group that she joined this year that butter, since the pandemic, the less expensive butter, they've been adding water to the butter. Hmm. And so if your cookies are flatter this year, that's the reason why. Interesting. So my chocolate chip cookies were flatter this year. That's why. My favorite cookie to get at the exchange, there are two of them. I have learned this year they're called peanut butter blossoms. Oh, sure. The little peanut butter cookies with the Hershey chocolate kiss in them. Yep. Love those. Love them so much. Don't know how to make them. But now I know what they're called so I can find a recipe. They are not hard, but I don't ever make them because <laughs> my youngest does not like chocolate and peanut butter together. Oh, see? Who knew? Love them. So those love to find them. And krumkaka. Okay. Absolutely love krumkaka. And this year I was given a lesson Ooh. in learning how to make krumkaka for the first time. Okay, for those who don't know, chrome caca, mm -hmm. you need a special tool yep. to make these. Yep. They're very similar to Pizzelle's, which is another ironed cookie, mm -hmm. which is like the Italian version of this cookie that doesn't get rolled in the same way that chrome caca does. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's, it's similar. It's a very similar kind of cookie. Yeah, those are mine. And you... Favorite cookie to make and favorite to get? The favorite cookie I have to make is only because it is the stalwart that turns out every time <laughs> and you can make them small and they still have an impact. Mm. So you can make like two to three dozen out of a batch, yep. which is amazing for a cookie exchange, mm -hmm. which is a chocolate chip shortbread that I use dark chocolate chips for that I found on the back of the cornstarch container. Nice. Sometimes those recipes are just golden. They are. They really are. And when I was a kid, because I no longer have a sweet tooth, anything with coconut, I was down with anything oh. with coconut. They're like Hello Dolly bars or something, I think they're called. Yeah. They were good because my mom never yep. baked with coconut. So it was there you go. exciting and new. Yeah. Ah, the holidays. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Coffee Hour and your favorite cookies. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for joining along. We wish you a very happy cookie time. And if you want to come and join us for Coffee Hour, you are welcome to come and join us on a Sunday morning at 1015 for worship. And stick around afterwards to join us for some coffee and some treats after worship. If you have a question for us or a suggestion for a topic, reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, please give us a like, give us a share, leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>